0: Ever wish there was a fast way to get up to speed on a complicated topic? Well, you're in luck. This series might just be for you. As providers, it's hard to stay on top of all the specialties in a multi-specialty world. So join us for the month of October and get back in the loop about everything that's happening in cochlear implants, from the fundamentals to what's changing with candidacy, patient characteristics, and the latest in tech. And you're gonna hear it from the best of the best. Hit the subscribe button and be the first to know when an episode drops for this MedOd Pro Doc Talk special series podcast on cochlear implants. Sponsored by Envoy Medical. Hi, I want to welcome you to another episode of Doc Talk by MedOd Pro. And Today, we are continuing our journey um, about cochlear implants. My name is Susan Good, and my co-host, Camille Dunn, is here with me today. How are you doing, Camille?
1: I am good. Thanks for putting this next series together.
0: Yeah, we're excited. The beginning of this podcast, if you have listened to um, one of the other two episodes at this point, we teed up what the journey looks like. And we're still working on that introduction to CI and not so much of a deep dive into history, but a little bit of a nod to where we've been and really what's relevant today. And a lot of things are going on and we're thrilled to have Donna Sorkin with us today who is the executive director of the American Cochlear Implant Alliance. Donna, welcome. Hello, I know you and Camille know each other well, so we're glad to have you. And it's been great getting to know you over the last um, month or so. I was hoping maybe you'd be able to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing.
2: Sure. Uh, Susan and Camille, thank you for having me. It's um, always great to hang with audiologists. I actually grew up with hearing loss in my family. And um, as an adult, I started to lose my hearing slowly. And um, by the time I was uh, about 33 or so, um, I had lost large large chunks of my hearing and I was using hearing aids, but um, I, I wasn't really a very successful user because of the nature of my hearing loss. So at that time, um, I, I started to think about what I was going to do with my life because I was working in governmental affairs, working with Um, cities and counties and states across the country. um, And it was becoming extremely difficult for me to work in that environment. I mean, recall this was before the ADA, before people thought about providing accommodations for someone. So what happened was my wonderful audiologist at the time, who I'll refer to as Susan, that is her first name, looked at what was going on with me. And I, the time was using the most high-tech hearing aids on the market. And she said, Donna, you know, I've done everything I can for you and you're still not doing very well. And she encouraged me at that point. To look at cochlear implants, and she started that journey for me by introducing me to some of her patients who had gotten cochlear implants, and and so that was really the start of my journey in this field. I wasn't I wasn't trained in it at all. I had been experienced it with my father and my grandmother and knew how challenging a significant hearing loss was um, in someone's life. My father actually retired when he was 52 years old because he, he couldn't do his job anymore.
1: I guess what struck me about your story, which really is the story probably of a lot of people, but you were coming into it at a time when cochlear implants were, we didn't really understand the outcomes with cochlear implants like we do today. And what struck me when you were telling your stories, how brave and bold your audiologist was in saying, hey, you need you need to find other types of technology and, and introducing that to you um, at that time when cochlear implants
2: were so new. You know, had a important career I thought at, at the time and was getting pretty frustrated about what I was gonna do going forward. Um, so, yeah, she she really did look at me as a whole person, not just as someone that she was fitting hearing aids with. She encouraged me to start looking at the process. She, I mean, she was someone that even at the time went with me to another audiologist because at the time she was not fitting people with digital hearing aids. And so she, she recommended that even before this process started, that I go and look at digital hearing aids, and she came with me to that appointment. Wow. She was she was That's really
0: amazing.
2: trying to help me find the best path forward. That was really what what got me going. And then I also spoke to my internist um, about what I was doing and got his take on it. Um, and interestingly, his wife had a hearing loss and was a hearing aid user, so he was super interested. In this new technology and what it could do for someone. And he actually was the one that helped me figure out where to go for a cochlear implant. Because remember, this was before the internet, you know, and it was really hard for someone to figure out where to go, what to do, what it looked like. Um, there's so much more information now than there when there was, this was 1992, when I started this process. Um, and so he, he told me where he thought I should go. He actually talked to the, 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 the physician before I went. It was definitely part of the equation for me.
1: And, and even back then, you had a team approach. Your internist, your audiologist, you know, they were all coming together to figure out what's going to work for Donna. You know, and and what's what's on the horizon? I'm thinking outside the box to try to look at your lifestyle and understand what you needed. They really
2: did that, and you know what? They stayed involved, even when even when Susan wasn't my audiologist anymore. She she stayed involved in the process, and um, I have referred many many patients to her over the years, and talked about her on podiums and in different places. So that was really what got me involved. I was lucky to have not been deaf for very long. You know, I had 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 a progressive loss, but it, it dropped very quickly. Um, I got in there. I had my first appointment in October of 1992, and my surgery was December 1st. That's how fast I moved through. Oh, wow the process, yes, because as soon as I had done the research, I knew I wanted to do this. I I saw people who were able to use the telephone, which was really, for me, what I was the watershed. I wanted to talk on the phone. And, And so I moved quickly through. I think I was really also helped by the improvements in the technology in the time that I had Um, my CI so the 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 second cochlear implant processor the sound processor that I got after nine months which really made a big difference for me in terms of how I was doing what my outcomes looked like I it, it meant I could talk on the phone and so it it was you know it was an evolving process for me and it also was what encouraged me to think about whether I wanted to get involved in this field as an advocate, as a proponent, as someone who could help others do be the best that they could be with whatever hearing support they, they needed. And so someone once asked me, were you an advocate before you got the cochlear implant or after you got the cochlear implant? And honestly, it was getting a CI that enabled me to take this course and, and be involved. And so shortly after that, I applied to be um, the executive director of uh, the organization for people with hearing loss. It's now called Hearing Loss Association but America. had another name at the time and the founder was retiring. And I, I applied. I didn't, I hadn't been involved in hearing loss at all, but they, they liked my background and the fact that I had been working with Diverse groups and in different cities, and so it really was a leap of faith for everybody, <laughs> including me, yeah. Um, yeah. to get involved.
1: So one thing I wanted to touch on was you said you got a new processor, and you know we've talked through this. You we're perhaps one of the very first few that got a cochlear implant early on. It was right new in the field, but. Right now you have new technology on your ear. so you haven't had to have your cochlear implant removed in order to get updated technology. And that was something that you talked about. you know, nine months in, I got a new processor that allowed me to talk on the telephone and, and so that's what's nice about all the companies that have manufactured cochlear implant technology is they make it so that patients can keep their same internal device that they're implanted with, but continue to get the latest type of technology on the outside to enable them to hear, which, you know, how many of those iterations have you gone through and been able to experience
2: new technology? I can't recall whether this is six or seven. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It definitely is the case that each time I got a new sound processor, I experienced some benefit that I didn't have before. It might be a convenience sort of thing, you know, the ability to use the the phone more more readily. Sometimes um, it was improvements in hearing and noise. I remember distinctly one of my changes, maybe a couple generations back, it allowed me for the first time, to pick up sounds at a distance. I'm gonna tell you a a true story. Um, Where we live, we have owls in the back of our property and they're pretty high up in the trees and pretty far away and I I never had heard them. And my son would always say to me, there it is, mom, did you hear it? I didn't hear it. And then after I got one of my upgrades, one of my new sound processors, I heard it for the first time. I heard the 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 sound of an owl, and I turned to Colin and I said, "Was that an owl?" And he said, "Yeah, Mom, you heard it." So, um, you know, that not not may not seem like that much in terms of being able to hear an owl up in the tree, but it speaks to the fact that I had a a larger grab of sound. My ability to hear sounds at a distance had gotten to the point where it was more quote normal more more like what someone with typical hearing um, was hearing i don't i don't have typical hearing but i do continue to approach what we view as typical hearing by all of these amazing changes that are made on the external device as you said camille i haven't had I, and i don't expect to ever have um, a certain sur- another surgery on, on 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 my implanted ear, but I continue to have those benefits that are incorporated in the new technology and the and the latest one is so cool. I can just hold my my cell phone up to my ear and it streams right into my processor, just like you guys do. You know, <laughs> with your with your technology. So I really appreciate the fact that that the ability for somebody to hear in different settings and in different ways and in more convenient ways has really advanced.
0: It's great to hear success, right? I mean, you dive in really early, you have the opportunity to have this big journey through where you dipped your toe in, you know, running or managing that organization. Um, How did you end up over at ACI
2: Alliance?
0: Being a patient has not only inspired you, but also empowered
2: you. Um, Thank you. Yes, it has been amazing. So after I I left HLLA, um, I actually went to another nonprofit, the Alexandra Graham Bell Association for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. And it was there that I really learned about childhood hearing loss and learned about the After that job, I actually went to one of the cochlear implant manufacturers, and I was vice president for consumer affairs for 11 years, and got involved in a lot of the public policy issues that we are still working on, like reimbursement and expansion of cabinet criteria, working with Medicaid at the state level, trying to make the early intervention processes carried out in a way by states that actually allow families to know about their options, and because that's... That's a a real issue for us still, that everyone gets the information um, that they need to make informed choices. And so I I learned a lot from from that experience and understand how they carried out their programs. And one of the things that we found was that cochlear implants, unfortunately, often fall through the cracks. And uh, so people had started talking about starting an organization that would just focus on cochlear implants. And, and people like Camille who work on CI and do research on, on cochlear implants um, are all involved in other larger organizations, are involved in you know, trying to get cochlear implants more embedded in those organizations, but we're often frustrated because the other options are so much larger than CI and it, it always does kind of become the last thing you talk about. This organization was started to provide that focus on CI, and our mission is embedded in advocacy, awareness, and research. And those three legs of the stool are very interrelated, and it's what we what we work out. We, we don't necessarily even separate them. One supports the other. And um, the mission statement that the board of directors wrote still drives us. We haven't changed it. It's still very, very appropriate. And what's been very exciting to me to see over time is the excitement of people from across the care continuum. And that's the other thing that we wanted to do. We didn't want to separate audiologists and surgeons and speech pathologists and educators of children and psychologists and scientists. We wanted them all to work together and uh, outside of their organizations. All of our members typically are in larger organizations, but we all come together and we work together on cochlear implants. And so it's really a unique and special environment for us to advance this field. And honestly, I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to be part of this because I think it is what will help us move this. And our name is Alliance, which means we really advocate to work with all those organizations. We have close relationships with the audiology organizations, and I I know their leaders and uh, their staff very well, and we're very collaborative with them. And so I think that's another really important advantage. We don't compete. They don't view us as a competitor.
0: Sure. Um,
2: and, you know, we don't want them to. We want to support what they do and they want to support what we do. So I think that's an important characteristic of the organization.
0: Camille, you've been a member of the
1: organization since the beginning. I've been a member through our the University of Iowa. And for the last four or five years, I've been on the board of directors. And so I've had the opportunity to work really closely with Donna through that role and i think donna you you speak to it so eloquently on how it is an alliance and our board of directors we have patient advocates we have parents who have children with hearing loss we have surgeons we have audiologists we have slps we have verbal therapists and and when you take a step back and think about the advocacy and and the role that the American Cochlear Implant Alliance plays in moving the needle on cochlear implants, it's, it's its really humbling. But Donna, what do you think are still our biggest challenges
2: when it comes to the advocacy? The biggest challenges are both in advocacy and in awareness. I think audiologists have a huge role in referring their patients in when they think that they they might benefit from another technology. And we've been talking about this recently with uh, the audiology organizations and amongst ourselves. And one of the problems is probably that we have kept CI over here and not made it part of the continuum of care to the extent that we should. And audiologists sometimes don't view CI as part of their practice and in fact they rarely do um but what what we hope will begin to happen more and we've been talking to the audiology organizations about this is is that we look at the options for a patient in a continuum of care context just as Susan did for me you know yeah. it's it was part of what she felt she should be doing for for me as her patient to get me to the best place that I could be and and see I probably should be talked about early on in someone's journey not as a last resort not as the thing that you do when you fail hearing aids well, and and it's then part it's, a, you know, it's part it's of a a scary thing yeah. when somebody becomes part of that process so i think that's really an important element that we want to work more on something just happened that's really exciting. The American Academy of Audiology endorsed two of our new guidelines papers. We're developing four guidelines on candidacy and assessment of um, cochlear implants in adults and children. And so they, they endorsed um, very recently the pediatric papers for um, bilateral and single-sided um, deafness. Um, which is really huge because it says as an audiology organization that they want to say to their members that this is important for you to consider in your practice, regardless of whether you full-time do CI or not. This is part of your practice. This is what you should be assessing your patients for and telling them about as part of routine care.
1: Right, and I and I like how you said, Donna. You know, doing it maybe starting it early, starting that conversation early, so that when they do get to that point, it's not a shock. It's not overwhelming to them because I think that's what happens. You know, for some of our patients, is they get to us at our cochlear implant center and they're overwhelmed with all the information that that we're discussing with them that day, and if as an audiologist um, broadly in the field, like you just said, can put cochlear implants in their toolbox, even though they may not do the programming, they may not um, fit the devices, they're they're the foundation. They're the ones that are gonna introduce it and and refer at an appropriate time, but make sure that the patients know, "Here's, here's where this continuum of care may lead.
0: Well, and I think you guys, this is where we started, Camille, as we were putting together and Donna, I think we shared this story. We put together this medical audiology agenda for the Florida combined otolaryngology meeting, which is a multi-provider meeting, the same way you think about the Alliance having so many different types of scopes underneath, you know, one roof. One of the biggest challenges I was looking at, because I'm not a CI audiologist, and looking at our tremendous agenda, was I was afraid that people would think, hey, these couple classes aren't for me because I am not a cochlear implant specialist. I don't have deep knowledge. And I'm, you know, would be worried that maybe it would be something that wouldn't be relevant. And I think today it couldn't be more relevant.
1: The American Cochlear Implant Alliance website has a plethora of information on it. And for anybody who's listening to this podcast and thinks you know what you're right I need I need to learn more about this and figure out how I can fit this into my practice or how I can learn more go to that website Donna was saying earlier her audiologist had to dig and figure out what the where the next best stop would be for for her and luckily we do have the internet and we do have a great website resource the American Cochlear Implant Alliance website that offers a lot of that information.
2: Yeah. Yes, it does. does. And I want to give people the the URL for it. It's www.acalliance.org. And honestly, most of the information on the website is, is really intended for people who are outside the world of Cochlear implants full time. You know, it's really to help anyone along their that journey, professionals, um, I- including individuals who are involved in, in primary care and are, are trying to decide if they should refer people in. There's a lot of wonderful patient stories for people at all ages for someone to share. You know, I'm biased, but I think it's the best resource available for the field for people who are really trying to to dig in and learn more about this for themselves and, and also for their patients.
0: Well, we appreciate you spending your time today and we will make sure that we will publish the website and list the the pages where people can go and grab resources. And it is great to even think about, you know, they're not just resources for providers or physicians or audiologists or your mid-level groups. It really is also for the patients and for their significant others or parents or, as we were saying, the children of the of the parents who are about to get implanted. So we, I think that that's great, and we will make sure that we lift that up.
1: Donna, thank you for joining us. I couldn't have thought of a better person to tell their story, and looked up to you for years. And so, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for listening to this special series of Doc Talk by Medad Pro. Sponsored by Envoy Medical.